insidious thing what is it snakes yes <laughs> but also lip gloss or any kind of lip balm you don't like it you don't need it until you start using it it's so true and then you develop a dependency that's how they get you yeah that's how they hook you that's the carmex industrial complex for you the nefarious lip gloss industry yeah oh shit. I, what there's seaweed on my breast <laughs> there's <laughs> Sorry, I just... That happens to the best of us. <laughs> Who among us hasn't had seaweed on the breast? What is yeah. the what is the most ridiculous excuse a student has come up with to get out of class? Oh, definitely this one time that um, the student... I, I never asked for documentation of this kind of stuff, ever. Okay. I just... I take students' word for it. Yeah. I operate, as you know, from a... Hermeneutic of trust, not a hermeneutic of suspicion. Love that. Love that. To paraphrase my colleague, Catherine Savini. She was, this student said she was going to miss um, class for a few days because she was going out of town because her sister was having a baby. Mm -hmm. So I was like, of course, you know, it's no problem. And she came back to class and um, said, oh, I'm back. Uh, thank you for being so understanding. And do you want to see a photo of the baby, of my sister's baby? And I was like, yeah, of course. And so she showed me a photo of what was... Absolutely like a six or seven month old child. <laughs> it was just so weird and like unnecessary and unsolicited. Uh, like, you don't have to lie. You don't. I didn't it's ask It's like when you. liars give way too many, inf too much information. Too many details. Yeah. yeah. They say that like, uh, they say that's a telltale sign, right? Totally. I haven't watched the um, drama Lie to Me, so I don't know all of okay. the telltale signs, but if anybody wants to... Fill us in on that. That'd be great. We'll do an episode about it. No, we don't. We have, again, we have plenty of ideas. <laughs> Dating while lying. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Uh, we were at brunch and um, I was, I was taking photos and Mary looked over and said, who are you sending, who are you sending photos to? <laughs> Thinking there were photos of me, but it was their photos of her. And I was like, I'm catfishing like eight or nine people with your photos. <laughs> That'd be cool. So we're here. We're queer. We're podcasting. Woo! Yay! This is episode three. That was terrible, wasn't it? No, I really liked it. Um, this, this is, is episode cheering. three of the Manic episodes. Manic fam. No. <laughs> I like that. No, it's <clears throat> episode three, The Phantom Menace. <laughs> the Phantom Manic fam. Manic. It's lit. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, Manic fam. <laughs> We can't do that, right? I like it. So what have we done so far? We've done bipolar disorder. Yeah. We've done bodies. <laughs> we, <laughs> now we're doing gay, gay stuff. stuff. Um, and we talked about this as we were mapping out the show. Yes, we do. Yeah, we, we, we like outline. To, we storyboard. We plan. We talked about what we wanted to tackle mm -hmm. within the un, under the umbrella of queerness it's a really big topic yeah. and not something that we could just kind of casually chat about in an hour right um there's just too much ground there there's, there's lots of facets and i think the there's same entire gay podcasts you've totally. been on a lot of them yes there's, we can't cover this in one no. go something very like 2012 feeling 
happened, um, which is this, I think, mostly much ado about nothing business about uh, these Zola ads that the Hallmark Channel pulled. Maybe that actually they are kind of indicative of something, some prevailing homophobia kind of deep in our culture. Uh, but that felt like a, a really anachronistic thing to have happen right now. It yeah. felt like, oh, we've come a lot further than this. And I can't, I kind of can't believe that we're still having conversations about what seems to be pretty universally unacceptable expressions of homophobia. Right. But I think that that is, that probably says more about the kind of bubble that we live in more than anything else. Right. Um, and we've experienced some interesting kind of like minor incidents lately. Yeah. The last year has been weird. Yeah. Like, I think we get really, really comfortable where we are. We live in Western Mass. It is so queer. It's so queer friendly. It's just gay, gay, queer. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Paradise. Yeah. I Utopia. mean, I just, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, we live near Northampton and I visited Northampton as a queer high school student and I just thought I'd die and gone to heaven when I went to Northampton. It's there's this old um, National Enquirer style newspaper that published this article like in the 90s about <laughs> called Northampton Lesbianville USA. Do you ever see that? <laughs> no. You'll see it hanging up like a copy of it hanging up in a lot of Northampton businesses because it's, it's really, really funny. And it, it's kind of like a reefer madness style thing. It's, you know, <laughs> I think I read that Northampton has more lesbian couples per capita than like any, any other, other place. town its size in yeah. the country. So pretty gay. <laughs> so we're just, I don't know. I'm just used to that. And also my family and, you know, I'm from, well, I'm not from Seattle, but I spent a lot of my time in Seattle. I lived in Seattle, which is another sort of affirming city. And so my experience in metropolitan areas and the places that I've lived has been really comfortable. I've never had my life threatened. I just, and not at least not for being queer. I think that's significant about our experiences yeah, because yes. when we sort of step outside of these places, yeah. it's kind of sh- shocking. It is. And and I think I, I keep wanting to, I, I don't, I don't mean this as like an apology for our identities, but I think an acknowledgement of our identities mm. that we aren't facing like threats of outright violence like trans women of color are in this country right. currently or like right. this sort of like epidemic against particularly queer people of violence against queer people of color so only speaking about our somewhat limited experience right. and honestly like I grew up in I grew up in Everett and there are, you know I grew up in South Everett and there are just parts of it where it is really it's super homophobic and I don't think I realized how bad it was until I got out, I guess. I was just in LA doing um, this workshop and I went to visit a friend who happens to be staying in Costa Mesa and I'd never really been outside of LA that much. I usually go in for work and I fly into LAX or, and then I go back home and that's a very, I've had a very limited experience of LA. I drove about, I guess it's about an hour outside, um, hour and a half in traffic, 45 minutes without. Not that that's relevant. <laughs> it's just, it's out, of the, it's out of the way. Yeah. My friend and I were eating at this restaurant and this guy apparently had kind of come up Cummed up. (laughs) (laughs) Ew. (laughs) This guy had approached my friend before I got there and apparently was like, I don't know, thought that she was being stood up or something. And she's also a fat person. So he was just being, he was being kind of weird. And she was like, oh, he's just drunk. And I guess maybe I'm just not, I don't hang around with men that often. (laughs) Hang around with cis men that much. She sort of dismissed it. I really, I just got a bad vibe from him. And, and he asked, he asked her for a hug and she was, 
you know, sort of acquiesced and was just, <laughs> I think there are so many women, especially fat women, especially fat queer women that want to keep the peace, but like want to not cause mm-hmm. any discomfort for mm-hmm. anybody else. I think as queer people, we have a desire to do that or to be, I don't know, spokespeople for our, for our queerdom. Yeah. Yeah. And to, to really avoid confrontation. Yeah. So he asked if he could hug me and I was just like, no, I don't, <laughs> I don't know you. Over the last couple of years, I've really been assertive mm-hmm. and outspoken and vocal. I've, I feel like I've always been like that, but I've been much more, um, I felt much more comfortable being combative. You've gotten more confrontational. At, it's at the end of the dinner and it's clear that he and his party are leaving. There's about maybe eight of them and they all look like... I don't know, hipster, like youth pastors, uh-huh. you know, like, like, it, like 10 years ago, they might've been wearing jeans with sequins on the ass. Yes. Thank you, honey. Yes, Absolutely. exactly. Exactly. I mean, and everybody or like was Ed Hardy, kind of beautiful. Everybody was beautiful. Uh-huh. You know, actually, I don't know. My back was turned. I just assume everybody's hot. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so he's on his way out and he seems like he's coming to sort of, I don't know, make amends or sort of apologize and like, let us know that he's not creepy. So he brings his girlfriend over who just looks kind of like a I don't know like an Instagram model uh-huh. and and he's like yeah I just wanted you guys to meet my girlfriend you know to show that he's sort of harmless mm-hmm. and um, or maybe that he wasn't hitting on you or yeah uh-huh. and uh, my friend well my, fr- my friend's Tess Holiday, so I, don't know, I keep like keep like trying to be hi Tess <laughs> so um, he says something and Tess is like oh you know I, th- I wondered if maybe you thought I was just some like fat lonely girl like you know being stood up and that's just not the case and he goes and you could tell they were really uncomfortable with the use of fat you know uh, the, yeah the word yeah and then he said something like I don't know it was something to the effect of oh no you know don't think that or something like that and she said oh no I wrote a book about it like I talk so she started talking about her book a little bit and her activism and and sort of what she believed he proceeded to say um oh I I wrote a book called being an f-word and talking to fat girls at Mexican restaurants and for a moment we were both like she goes you you did? You really wrote that book? And I had a moment where I was like, oh, he's queer and he's in a relationship with, you know, a, a woman, but he's queer. And so he feels entitled to use the F word. And the F word that we're talking about is not the F word. It's of, not fuck. Right. It's not the <laughs> F word of lore, but the other one, right? The F word the of homophobic of, slur. Exactly. I, I never say that word. I don't believe in saying I don't that word. I don't believe in the experience of like any person that's not a gay man or queer, like anybody Absolutely. that has that experience or has had that slur used against them. Totally. To use that word. Yeah. I think it's completely, it's unacceptable. Unacceptable, yeah. So, and even in like describing it and even saying it. I, I, this is all just, this story is fucking wild to me. So he says he he's written this book about being an F word and we both kind of freeze and then I, and then I, pause a moment because I don't want to be judgmental but my first instinct is like oh he's homophobic or oh he doesn't know that that's unacceptable and I say oh are you queer and I don't think he's uh, he's used to that word unless that's being used as a slur oh uh-huh. so he's like what am I what and I was like are, are you gay like do you he's like this is my girlfriend and she's like I don't know are you gay and looks at him did he recoil like it was an insult yeah he was like really puzzled why I would ask if he was gay 
And I was like, oh, you use the F word. And that's like not acceptable for a straight person to use that word. Absolutely not. I don't use that word. Yeah. I was like, I don't use that word and I'm queer. He's like, what do you mean? I was like, I'm a gay person and I don't <laughs> use that word. Unless you've been ostracized from the church, unless you've been discriminated against and been and had your life threatened. I can feel my blood boiling yeah. right now. Unless you've had these experiences, you have n- the, the amount of entitlement that he felt to saying that word. And he continued to say it. Yeah. He said, oh, because I said, you mean the F word is this? So he kept saying it over and over. Ugh. And he had a loud voice. And then I was like, I started covering my ears. I was like, this is, this is like, this is awful. This is like shame on you. Yeah. And uh, he was like, wait, are you F? And he started, he wanted to say it. And then um, Tess looked at him, I think with these like kind of daggers. Uh-huh. And he goes, freak of nature. Oh, man. He said, are you a freak of nature? And I was like, am I gay? Yes. How, how? It was like he couldn't wrap his head around it. I don't know whether it was because I had like long hair. Like, I don't I don't <laughs> fucking know. Yeah. But then he said he he asked this question like five or six times. You've had sex with a woman. You've had sex with a woman. And this guy with, wasn't like, like plastered drunk. No, he was. He looked stone cold sober. And it was just like dripping with homophobia. It was just like, yeah, you've had sex with a woman. Just like complete disgust. Lots of mustard on it. And I wanted to I wanted to cry. And I think normally I feel like, honestly, it's a, an important response because I don't think I don't think that he knew. But that communicates to me that he's really never been in a situation where it's socially unacceptable. Totally. Or nobody's told him, rather, that it was socially unacceptable. Yeah. Um, and so I just... I you thought... So you almost cried. Uh, but I mostly just flipped out. I just... I was just like... I said, you have to get out more. You have to read a book. Shame on you. Shame on you. And I looked at his girlfriend. I said, shame on you, too. And I looked at the whole table. I was like, shame on all of you. Good. And then I, like... I left. I could tell he was really, he was like, oh, he kept looking at Tess like, I really upset her. I really upset her. I was like, yes, you continue to, you're, you're yes. like, you're really hurting me. This is incredibly hurtful. Unbelievable. This just takes me back to, I feel like I'm in seventh grade again. Right, exactly. I felt like I was in high school. I feel like I'm, I'm vulnerable and small and... I, I just felt like there was a time when this was just in the air. It was just in the water. Like yeah. that, it was just so acceptable. Right. And I, I like to think we've crossed that river, you know, mm-hmm. and we're past it. Thanks to you, same-sex marriage was legalized. And <laughs> it was all, all me. And now, like, that's, you know, we're done with that. Let me see if I can do this. How long has it been since I took the SAT? Same-sex marriage is to homophobia as Obama's election and presidency are to racism. Yeah. We're like, we have institutionalized the wrongness of that by this big landmark thing. Right. But then you're like, oh, wait, no, the mechanisms of it are very different than that. Actually, totally. in most places, see again, like the one million closeted <laughs> homosexual moms or whatever. I loved your tweet about that. Like, they're out there. Yes. And apparently they're in Costa Mesa. <laughs> they're all there. And they're in more places than one in Costa Mesa because yes. then you left this okay. restaurant. This is what is crazy is that was not an isolated incident for that night. And I, mind you, this is like my old, like my only personal outing my, of my time in LA. <laughs> and I was just like, fuck. This is why I don't go in public. Yeah, I was like, fuck this shit. So I mean, hard right now. And maybe, I know this isn't relevant, but Costa Mesa or not, it's still Southern California. Right. It's not like you were in the middle of Oklahoma or something. Yeah, I mean, totally. Is, but, like, we see it on election maps. That's where Trump country is. Right. And, like, 
But even that's not a predictor sometimes, I don't think. You know, because you went to visit this wonderful place with me. Yes. I got my PhD in Arkansas, at least in my experience. Granted, I was in a pretty liberal part of the state. I just don't think you can always predict where homophobia is going to show up. Like, I almost feel like it's in smaller pockets than that, right? right? Like, it's in... It's in zip codes, it's in people's living rooms, it's in neighborhoods, it's like it breeds in families or something, not necessarily in geographic locations. I just think it sort of transcends that in some weird way. Right. Well, and what I think the argument for metropolitan areas is that you're so confronted with so many different kinds of identities that it is impossible to demonize them because they're your neighbors and your coworkers and and you're surrounded by so many different kinds of people. So that you can't help but be empathetic. I think that's true, but I'll say this too. What if in Costa Mesa, if this guy had had one queer person who was close to him mm-hmm. or a family member or one person, mm-hmm. you know, again, I don't know. I, I, I hesitate to say that because I know that people say that's the biggest predictor of people not behaving that way or having mm-hmm. these kind of homophobic beliefs. And I'm sort of uncomfortable with that idea because it makes it sound like you're, we're responsible to be like ambassadors of sure, queerness or sure. like and talk people out of homophobia around us. Yeah. But I don't know. Maybe I think it's, it's excusing people in those areas to say, of course, it's normal that you would go up and use a homophobic slur in somebody's face because you don't encounter queer people every day. Like, right. I think we're setting the bar awfully low. Right. Or like, oh, of course, people in rural areas are going to be, you know, that doesn't stop people in the South from being racist as hell. Right. You know, there's a lot of, of people of color in the South. Right, right, right. So I don't know. So we go one, like, actually, it's on the same block. Because I was going to say, it's one block away. It's on the same block. And, well, first of all, on our way to the bar, somebody rolls down their window and says, oh, a whale sighting. Because both Tess and I are fat. Hilarious. <laughs> within, within, within the five seconds that we're walking to the other bar. You know what's messed up about that? Like, mm. actual whales are fucking awesome. They're beautiful. And yeah. if, if he had said that, it was like, whale sighting and y'all were right by the water, what if you turned and there were, like, two humpback whales? Like, <laughs> you know what I me, mean? That reminds me, we were at the grocery <laughs> store. <laughs> we were at the grocery store. We were at the produce. <laughs> we were in the produce aisle. And... <laughs> Paige just goes, hey, babe, check out her melons. And I I almost shit my pants. And I turned around, and there was this woman holding two cantaloupes. <laughs> and I was like, that is so ridiculous. Things aren't always as they seem. That's the lesson for this. Okay, so anyway. Okay, sorry. So I no, go, it's okay. So you get sniped with second grade humor, and then y'all are going to a yeah, bar. Yeah, so then block. we're going to another. We're going to another bar, and I don't know. I just get a better feel. There's like kind of a hip girl sitting at the bar, but as I have as I have discovered, it does not matter what you, you look like. You always think you're like, oh, they have a cool haircut. They're, yeah, they get you it. got it. Yeah, you, you understand. Yeah, there's like a. There's like a, a a scale of like least woke to most woke yes. haircuts. Yes. Yeah. She was on <laughs> presumably on this end of that. Yeah. Spectrum. She was drinking a glass of wine. I don't know. And gay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So so she's drinking a glass of wine, and um, she compliments Tessa's sweater or something. So I'm like, she's friendly. She's nice. And I am just like, my heart is still racing from, from the previous encounter. You're still like, you got adrenaline going. Yes. And so I'm like, 
oh, I just had the worst experience with this, like, this awful guy in the restaurant next door. And and I kind of, I told her what happened. And I said, I was like, he just kept using the F word. He just kept using it over and over again. And she was like, oh, that's terrible. You know, like, my mom is kind of behind the times. And, you know, she'll just still call us. She, she just calls us, you fucking effers. And she just kept saying, she kept saying the F word over and over again, as in reference to her mom saying it. She must have said it, like, five times. God. Like, the F word. And every time... Time she did it like my I I felt nauseous I yeah. was just like oh my god oh my god no okay she doesn't get it either and then she continued to talk about this is what she said which just and honestly it was like I was talking to somebody in middle school or high school again she said oh yeah I think people really need to understand where gay people are coming from and but sometimes they take it too far and I was like oh no we're oh. we're in bad territory she says if someone says that's gay it's not that big of a deal like they don't mean it like that okay and I just I my mouth went open I was like I don't even think I finished I was like okay right <laughs> we're, just, we're we're hypersensitive got it I was like sure okay and I just got my margarita and I just couldn't believe it it's 2019 <sighs> Not that that means anything, but... Well, and that, honestly, it reminded me of that time when we were in Malibu, and I equally, I mean, it was just like, we're in LA, what is going on? So we were at this, this might have been the worst meal we've ever had together. I'm not going to, you know, no free ads, not that they want this kind of free ad, but I'm not going to mention the name of this place. So, uh, but this restaurant, we had this... This awful meal. We we ate by the water. It was really beautiful. And uh, Mary got up to go to the bathroom. And this woman who was, I don't know, in her, I'd say, late 40s, early 50s, comes up and crouches next to me. And I thought because she took that opportunity the moment that Mary left the table that it was a fan of Mary's who wanted to approach her but thought she'd use me as sort of an intermediary because that happens sometimes. And um, so she's like, can I ask you a question? I was like, yeah. And she was like... Well, just because I saw you guys being affectionate with with each other, you know, I saw that you're a lesbian couple. I think I think my son is gay, and I just I wanted to talk to you about it because I'm just not totally sure. And I could just feel that my eyes were really big, and I was like, "I are, are you fucking serious? I have no idea what you want from me right now." She cited some signs of his gayness as being like that he used like a purple sparkly water bottle. It was um, like his iPad cover was pink. Yeah. Oh, and at this point, I had I you came, came back, back from the from the bathroom, and okay, so the food was really really bad, and we didn't really eat anything on our place. I felt we were incredibly wasteful, but it was just it was it was bad. It was really, it was bad. really bad. It was like cold fish. I saw a woman who looked very dignified. I don't know, sit like <laughs> like crouched over talking to you, and I was like, oh, the manager came over. Wow, that's really you know what great service. Yeah, she was and, very like smartly dressed, and you know had her hair had her hair done yeah. right and so I I sat down and I was like ready to talk to the manager uh-huh. <laughs> it's like the most white lady thing I said so and then I and then I realized what's happening and I just I I couldn't believe it and I didn't know whether I should just like shut her up was it if I could just be like we're having a date right now right and we're not here to f- like fix your problem right she said oh my husband is back at the table and you know he's just really not okay with it so I figured that I would just come and talk to you about it and I was like you I didn't say this. I was like, you decided to interrupt my evening and my time with my partner to ask me as the world's foremost authority on like gay 14 year olds. If your son is gay, I have no fucking idea. I don't know. But one thing's for sure. He fucking hates you. (laughs) (laughs) 
It's like, I can tell you, Becky, that's for sure happening. <laughs> um, I think the there, there's something that feels like it's sort of in the other direction where it's not overt homophobia. Like, she didn't mean any harm by it. Like, she didn't mean to, but it, like, really upset both of them. I, yeah. I know it upset you. But. Yeah. I mean, neither does, and I, I don't know if, like, if we're going to compare this to other experiences, I don't know if that she meant any harm by it any more than somebody who asks a trans person if they're a boy or a girl means any harm by it, or if somebody who asks to touch a black woman's hair means any harm by it. Right. But they should know better. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it doesn't take much. Like, just like you said to that guy at the restaurant in L.A., it's just a quick Google search. Or people write books about this. They tweet about this. It is, it's not impossible to find this stuff out, right? To, like, yes. not be a little bit insensitive. It's your res- You are a human, <laughs> and it is your responsibility to understand the experiences of other humans yeah. because we all live together, mm-hmm. and we're all trying to make it through. And to unlearn hateful... Um, exclusive, toxic right. patterns of thought and behavior. Yeah. Well, and then this is kind of what pisses me off is th- that I feel like the conservative, well, in this, yeah, straight Christian conservative, this sort of belief system that says, why don't you extend that to me? Mm-hmm. When I think I have spent my entire life understanding your perspective. It's everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I totally get it. It is, it is the water we're swimming in. I am right? I am so well-versed in it. Right. I know your experience. I know how to speak like you. I know how to... I can play it. Well, we and we talked about this with when our friend Rowan came over for dinner a couple months ago. I told her, I said, you know, as a, as a college professor and somebody who spends all day, every day with like 18 to 22 year olds, what I worry about is that there's this Trumpism has this countercultural punk rock kind of appeal to it oh, wow. where it's it's like they're sort of acting out or like going against the grain. It's a way of like it's it's a way of standing out in this otherwise pretty liberal kind of environment. I think that stems from the same place as this like persecution complex right. that white middle to upper class Christian people tend to think that as the space for marginalized people gets bigger and the world of what's unacceptable to say gets bigger, that they're getting smaller and they're getting kind sure. of squeezed out. Yeah. And what is um, that? what's that quote? Who says that? Where it's like they, as they start to feel like their sort of way of life is in, is endangered for whatever reason, there's a defensiveness. I think that comes sure. out of that. I'm sure you saw this, but the Merriam-Webster announced that their word of the year was they. the singular pronoun they, which Love I thought was that. great. Of course, the the backlash to that is like, oh, this has just gone too far, and you just pick a gender, oh, you know, LGBT, BBQ, all this shit. <laughs> but so, um, whatever. I, that I just I feel like I can just filter that out at this point. But I thought, oh, you know, when people get, if people feel like they're not adept in that, they don't get it, they're going to get it wrong. Yeah. I think there's a, they're, they're like, oh, well, I just don't know what you want me to do anymore, and totally. they recoil. Totally. And I think we all have blind spots in that regard right Mm -hmm. i guess what angers me about this belief system that feels oppressed even though they're not oppressed is that it's like there's no acknowledgement of history it's like as soon as that person was born there's no other historical context for the way that things are it's like (laughs) the world just started when they when they were born and that pisses me off because there's a, like a whole, we're talking about genetic trauma. We're talking about mm-hmm. like histories and histories of trauma. And it's like, there's no acknowledgement that shit happened before you were born. Yeah. John, like, John Knowles in that stupid book, a separate piece says, 
somebody acts like the world flickered into being yes. when they arrived on the scene. Yes. Right. So I think that's what pisses me off because, you know, especially when uh, white people get angry with like, uh, you know, diversity outreach or, or, you know, affirmative action or things like that. They're like, how is this? You know, it, it's it's actually harder to be a white person, or it's you know it's harder to be straight. Right? Where's the straight parade? Oh. And it's like, what are the? <clears throat> are you kidding me? And the, the what's what makes it even more insulting is that so often any of those diversity initiatives are just like throwing a bone and doing absolutely the least amount humanly possible. The bare minimum. And it's the bare minimum. I think this is true of the Hallmark thing too. Mm -hmm. You can't look at organizations whose sole focus is making money, for example, Mm -hmm. and think that any of these moves have anything to do with like just trying to adjust (laughs) it so that they can piss the least number of people off. Right. They're just calibrating, like, what do we do with this public anger? Where is it going to come from that it's going to affect our bottom line? Yes. So it's, I think it's easy to get cynical about that. I know, and I know that you're, you're talking about, like, individual people, but I right. think that individual people make up these institutions and then they end up making these decisions. And right. um, I think often there is a real lack of introspection about it. There's a real lack of critical thinking about it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean... There are people in the South who call it the war of Northern aggression still. It's insane. So. Well, and, and that's why I mean of like, there's, there's a, a history of like deep homophobia and deep transphobia within the fabric of our, our nation, within the fabric of the world. And to not acknowledge that and not say that it doesn't exist because there's like a gay person on TV yeah. or a gay person in an ad. It's like, fuck you. Fuck right off. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I agree. You can, you can't render it in, you can't render what is actually happening invisible. And in fact, when people are like, oh, you're pushing it down our throats. I'm like, well, good. Yeah. Because if you don't like it, it needs to be normalized for yeah. you. And if you don't see that around you. Maybe it will help you get used to the idea. Totally. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I think it's yeah. tough. It's tough when you're talking. I think it's really different, though, hon, when you're talking about an individual versus like a corporation's bottom line. Right. And, you know, and I, I think that's where it gets complicated is that that's often where we see this kind of stuff played out. I mean, think about even the most significant controversies of the past, I don't know, 10 or 15 years about yeah. this stuff. It's been Chick-fil-A and Hobby Lobby and it's just, I mean, and I know that that's where this stuff gets processed often, you know, and we can kind of vote with our pocketbooks and all that, but it's easier to get cynical if you think of it that way. But also people with lots of money and power are in a position to make a change when it comes to that, right? right. They're, in a, they're in a position to normalize particular narratives or what particular relationships look like. Totally. I was thinking about sort of the historical context of our country and our world. And I started thinking about, okay, how does this relate to me? How does this relate to my history? Because when we were talking earlier about, um, they being the, uh, the Merriam Webster, like word of the year, was it word of the year? Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, I sort of had this flash of like maybe 10 years ago, I was like skeptical about non-binary people. Mm-hmm. I was like, I was I was a fucking asshole. Yeah. And I said, I think I, I think I said, just pick it, just pick, 
just pick. Right. You know, I really firmly believed in, in a, in a binary Mm -hmm. and I don't know if I firmly believed in it, but I just felt casually annoyed at non-binary people. And I'm like, I'm, I'm ashamed to say it. And I feel that I've sort of done the work in learning and and hopefully repairing those, you know, yeah. that, that feeling and, and understanding the experience. Um, I'll obviously never know the experience, but I think it's important for people to know that, like, as queer people, we have our own blind spots as well. Totally. I, I wasn't part of this group, but I grew up in a kind of town where, like, queer people or weirdos had one place to hang out. And in my mm-hmm. hometown of Corpus Christi was this place called the Lotus Cup that I'm sure no longer exists. Um, and mostly because none of us ever bought anything there. I have no <laughs> idea how that place ever sustained itself. It was like glasses of water and cigarettes on the patio, you know? And there was this group that met there called CATCH, which stood for the Corpus Area Teen Coalition of Homosexuals, which is a interesting moniker. Cor- wait, sorry. It's CATCH, the Corpus, Corpus Area, Area teen, teen Coalition of Homosexuals. <laughs> of homosexuals. Homosexuals, yeah, dang. This, and this was yeah, like. I used to call myself a homosexual too. Yeah, me too. This like is like in 17. the year. This is between like the years 99 and 2001, I would say. Okay. And I think actually Dang. it was um, bastardized from uh, a Hatch, which is a Houston group that had the same deal. Okay. So I'm sure that's where it came from. I was never part of this group, but I remember it was only like, I don't know, 11 or 12 people. And I thought I was too cool. I thought I was too punk rock for them. So I was just like smoking cigarettes in the corner, but, but they were, were on you, the Were you out? Were you yes. Like, okay, oh, yeah. Okay. Yep. I came out when I was like 12 or 13. Dang. I remember they would almost every time they met, sing this song about hating bisexual people. <gasps> no. Yeah, like openly. Are you serious? Yes, it was really widely accepted. And again, this is a long time ago. This is like the late 90s, early 2000s. But um, I remember it and I remember not being particularly offended by it. Like it took me yeah, a really totally. long time to wrestling with that was and not taking my own personal history. Because I think I did. I think I got like burned by straight girls so many times or by, um, you know, I say that by, um, you know, like girls who'd say that, who said they were bisexual, identified as bisexual. I felt like they had chosen men over me. So I was like, that doesn't exist. You're just straight and confused and experimenting. Mm -hmm. And I internalized all that stuff based on my own experience in a really deeply unfair way that I think I'm only just now totally deprogramming myself of, you know? Right. Yeah, the biphobia blind spot, because that's the same the same way that, um, you know, non-binary people fall on the spectrum of saying, no, like there's it's yeah. it's it's not it's not one or the other. Like gender is fluid. It's it's like it's a it's an actual galaxy of right. gender. And I think for we're learning with sexuality is paralleled in that way of like there's a whole galaxy of sexuality that doesn't fall within these sort of realms, these either or that we've been taught, which I think is so helpful when you start navigating things outside of sexuality or um, gender identity is what else is like that? What else, what else is there a galaxy of that I've been taught that there's a right way and a wrong way? Right. Yeah. And I think that's, it can start to feel overwhelming because you're like, well, Okay, then what's the right way to do things? Right, right. And yeah. then you wake up and you're like, oh shit, there's no right way to do things. Yeah. And the world feels like absolute chaos and we're just like spinning and we don't know what to do with ourselves. Right, yeah. Know? And the categories aren't as clean as they used to be. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so I want to know, uh, so you said you came out when you were 12 and I knew that. Um, I, I came out to... you saying waves? I came out to 
uh, like a few people at a time. So I had friends that I came out to when I was 12. I think I came out to, my sister was the first family member I came out to. I think I was, I don't know, 14 or 15, mm-hmm. somewhere around there. Um, I'm not sure. When did you come out to yourself? Fifth or sixth grade. Wow. Um, I had a, yeah, oh, definitely. I knew it for sure. Um, I had this math teacher mm-hmm. that I was just absolutely in love with. Oh, you did? I mean, just like head over heels. I was crazy about her. I remember to the point that I stayed home sick from school one day and my sister remembers this. She was like, I thought it was so weird. You asked what Mrs. McDonough was wearing that day, the day that you weren't at school. <laughs> and I remember she was married to this guy who was in the Navy. He's a really nice guy. So I remember his name. I mean, it's crazy. Wow. It's not all. And you really loved her. And he would like come to campus to visit her, like in his, in his flight suit. And he was just so sweet and handsome. And I remember I just was filled with this, like, I didn't know what it was at the time, but mm. this rage that he existed. I just, wow. I hated it. Wow. And um, I remember she got pregnant and new waves of rage. And it was, I knew as it was happening, I was like, oh, this is, this is what it feels like to be in love with somebody. Like, this is, this is what I've Wow. I knew you about. had a crush on your teacher, but I didn't know it was like. I think it was. Like, it was really the first feeling of like. Wow. Um, I remember feeling at a very young age, like it was inappropriate or weird for me to have crushes on my friends Mm. because I wasn't out to them. Yeah. And so I felt weird even feeling that way. So I didn't admit that even to myself. Like I'm sure I felt it, but I was really resistant to that idea. I didn't then. And I still don't, I didn't want, I wanted to wear like blinders if I was in a locker room with other girls. I didn't didn't want them to think I was, you know, I was, and I think a lot of that was maybe like being ashamed of what I was feeling, but, and I know we've had really different experiences with, um, with religion in this regard. Yeah, absolutely. But I went to a, an Episcopal school for 12 years. So this is while I was still going to this very small Episcopal school and I never heard any. That's what's crazy to me. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. (laughs) I never heard any anti LGBTQ propaganda at all. I never heard that interpretation of scripture. Um, we were never taught that. Um, we were taught plenty of other, Things that were, I mean, I don't know, actually, looking back on it, I can't remember a single thing where I was like, I can't believe that our pastor said that. There's there's nothing I can think of. So. Wow. I mean, that's incredible to have gone to a Christian school and be gay and not have that kind of relationship. Never. That's so beautiful. I that mean, to it me was is nice. Like, thank God bless the, you know, Episcopal Church. And if they're, you know, one of the, you know pioneers of being affirming churches that just it's not in their on their radar you know they also didn't say anything in the other direction right you know there wasn't like it's okay no matter who you love right but that was also not really I mean I left that school like 1998 I mean other than like Ellen that there just wasn't like a public conversation at that time you know I think that might have been part of it um because that was even like, you know, I think like pre Matthew Shepard and there just might not have been a reason to bring it up. Right. You know what I mean? Right. But you had a very different experience with coming out and with the church. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, my mom is my mom's married to a woman. So I grew up like being a like president of GSA. Like I really was I was always standing up for, for gay people, for queer people. I just, even while you um, identified as being straight. Yeah. I was the president of GSA when I was straight, quote unquote, (laughs) but I, during your straight period, it's like Picasso's blue period. (laughs) There was no negative programming around being gay. 
it was totally fine. And, and I knew if I was, that would be fine. And I, you know, my parents would occasionally check in like, are you gay yet? Or, you know, (laughs) but I was so boy crazy. I was just obsessed with boys. I always had a boyfriend. I always needed to be liked by boys. And I realized at a certain point that I was like, oh, it has nothing to do with boys. It just has to do with like, I have a just an insatiable desire to be loved and to be liked and to have a purpose. Honestly, so I talk about growing up Pentecostal. I was, I was Pentecostal from when I was born until I was about five or six. Then my mom started going to drum circles. So it was like a very extreme experience of absolute disgust and ostracism for being gay, you know, watching my mom experience that through the church. And then um, listening to Tracy Chapman and Sarah McLaughlin and like having that be my life. Mm -hmm. And then I don't know if I was, I was doing some sort of backwards rebellion, but I started going to an evangelical church when I was like 15. Mm. And, um, I just always loved church. It just, it gave me such a comfort, like Uh a good feeling. And I, so I went to this church called, um, in, in Seattle, it was called Mars Hill. And they kind of call it the culty church that <laughs> honestly, um, maybe well-deserved as that title. And in that church, it was absolutely, you know, stated on more than one occasion. Um, not only that, you know, women are to, to submit to their husbands, um, but that, you know, it is, it is an absolute sin to be gay and, you know, gay people are welcome here, have gay people as your friends, but you can't participate in homosexual activities. Mm. And I remember that was my, that was when I, when I was, you know, dealing with coming out and I was 17 and I felt, I don't know, I felt like weird in my skin already. And I had a crush on the, on a girl for the first time. And it was really important to me to go to church. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to take my, you know, the girls I was dating to church, but it was like, I was going to this church that wasn't affirming. Right. And it really didn't make sense. It finally occurred to me. I was like, oh, I don't know why I keep subjecting myself to this. And what I did I would wake up every morning and say, you know, okay, well, murderers, they go to heaven. And I'm not a fucking murderer. I just like, like girls. So I'm going to repent every day and I'm going to apologize to God every day for being gay. That was my sort of way of wrestling with being gay. Right. Was that I was going to be on God's good side if I just like apologize for it. (laughs) Yeah. And then I, I don't know what happened. It was like, I did that for about a year. And then I just thought, this is fucking stupid. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Right. So I stopped going to that church and I was like, oh, I feel so much better not going to that church. And I started going to the Episcopal church. Yeah. I went to St. Mark's Cathedral in Seattle and they have this beautiful service called the Compline service. And it just feels like, you know, everybody from all faiths just comes and listens to this gorgeous choir and you just kind of have your own spiritual connection with God, whatever that looks like. And that's when I started feeling the closest I ever have to God Yeah, was when I stopped listening to a pastor tell me how to receive scripture. Right. When I hear that churches are welcoming, Mm -hmm. um, 
it feels like a trap mm. and I'm yeah. really skeptical of it Totally. until like, I need you to do more than just say like, we're open to all people. Like I, I need you to come out and say it. I need yeah. you to come out and say like, if you're LGBTQ, we, we, we want you here. Yeah. We welcome you here. Like that needs to be explicit. Right. But what's so scary about that is because I felt like Mars Hill was like that, but what they would do, it was like, it was like, we want you here because we want you to be saved. Yeah, it's we kind want, of like... You're welcome here because you need to see sort of the light and the error of your sin. It's kind of a bait and switch. Yeah. I remember hearing somebody, I don't know, some crazy conservative person um, before same-sex marriage was legalized. I remember they were interviewing and the, they said, well, same-sex marriage is legal. You, you can get married. It just can't be somebody of the same gender, but like you're not forbidden from the institution of marriage. <laughs> you can still get married. You just can't marry. You can, you can be gay and get married. Sure, I don't care. But I'm like that is oh, a wow wild <laughs> right. That's insane. I'm sorry, I had to go on that on that. Yeah. Um, what is that like mental acrobat? Men- yeah, mental. Uh, <laughs> you just did a mental back bend. How did yes. that feel? <laughs> um, so that's what it feels like to me. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I feel you, and I think I mean the 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 church does that and has. This historically done that so even more than that yeah to say like i'm sure that skepticism about religion is just fucking all-time highs right now which is i'm sure um that having sort of pr crisis but but i love that you didn't have that sort of experience yeah no i didn't again it wasn't like positively affirming in the other direction but i definitely never got the message we learned you know, and I, I, I credit, I don't know how you've maintained such a good relationship with it, but I credit the, the strength of my own faith to the way that the church I attended and the school I attended would tie ideas about marginalization and oppression and persecution in the Bible and in, in scripture to oppressed, marginalized groups. Again, not LGBTQ people. I don't know the extent to which that just wasn't part of the conversation. Mm. Nobody identified openly as being queer. Mm. You know, I don't know. You know, I had such a good experience. I had a wonderful experience with it. Yeah. And then, of course, like I went to college and thought, oh, the cool thing to do now is like be an atheist. So I like I tried that on and I was like, I don't like that. You know, I still felt drawn to the church and comfortable there. And Mm -hmm. again, the, the, the Episcopal church specifically. Yeah, totally. But yeah, that scary shit. Because you know, I was in I was in South Texas. There were lots of Baptist churches, lots right. of that fire and brimstone weird yeah. shit, and you know, uh, stuff like the the churches that you went to. Totally. What would you say to somebody who is coming out but is like afraid to come out? I would say I hope you have somebody somewhere in your life. Just find one person you feel safe talking to mm-hmm. and telling about it. It's a whether it's a teacher or family member or a friend, someone who you know you have their support. I would look to queer people on Instagram or in the media or on Twitter who are who have positive and affirming messages about being out and kind of mm-hmm. surround yourself with the with positive discourse about it. Mm-hmm. But I think having support is really, really important. Yeah. I don't know what that support looks like for everybody. Yeah. Um, but I will say this, if it's not around you personally and you want, you know, support from afar, you can get that from so many different places online. Right. Um, again, I, I don't, I'm, I am an, I'm an old lady. And so I don't know where people go nowadays, yeah. but I just imagine that there are places where 
you can get that sign of kind of support from afar, you know? Yeah. Um, Oh, what would you say? Yeah. Well, I just did that event. Um, I did. A, I attended an event at, um, for the Trevor Project. And so they sort of provide this incredible resource for just being a, f- a phone line. Like yeah. somebody you can talk to. And I think they started um, a chat, too. So you can oh, that's like, great. chat to somebody online. And I, you know, I, I do think being queer is so often, especially being young and queer, is so often framed tragically. Right. Coming out is aligned with like it's the end of your normal life Mm -hmm. like it's I remember I used to think of it when I was a teenager like there were all these possibilities this is why same-sex marriage was so important to me it was not because I was just dying to get married it was because not having the option of getting married foreclosed all these other possibilities like that's that's a that's the that's the gateway into adult life Right. And that's this opportunity for everybody to recognize you and celebrate your sort of passage from your, you know, your family, your birth family into your chosen family. And that that not being accessible meant the future felt really dark to me. Yeah. So I think one option of doing that is to look at queerness in a different frame, to look at it as fun and radical and daring and campy and like watch RuPaul's Drag Race and Mm. watch these people who are like unapologetically ridiculously themselves or watch like Priscilla Queen of the Desert or, you know, like even um, like to read. I remember reading all of this uh, scholarly work. (laughs) Um, I read uh, uh, Jack Halberstam's wonderful book is absolutely blew my mind called the queer art of failure. Mm. And in that text, he argues being queer is a failure to be legible in this heteronormative society. And we should all, all hope to be illegible because the system sucks. Yes. And it's say like, you should, we should celebrate that queerness is failing to fit into a mold that has caused people all this misery and unhappiness. And, you know, if you, I don't know if you fail to, if you fail to pay your mortgage, Mm. you don't have a mortgage anymore. You're free, you know, maybe not to that extreme, (laughs) but, um, it's not that you can't get married. You don't have to get married. Totally. You don't have to serve in the military. Serving in the military is a fool's errand. That's, uh, that's what the government does, you know, sending young women and men to die. Um, I'm not saying I personally believe that. I don't believe this, but this is just the, the, the radicalness of this argument was really seductive to me. Um, she basically Halberstam says queerness is failure is what makes it beautiful Mm. and things like camp or like really outrageous expressions of being queer are like celebrating that failure like screw you we get to be fucking ridiculous yeah beautifully like disgusting yeah and um so i think uh maybe looking at it through a different frame wow i know it's easy for me to say you can celebrate this and you know, because I think I do think really, really, really often I know I mentioned Matthew Shepard. I think really often queers is framed in this sort of tragic way and yeah. like queerness. That's why it made me a little bit yeah. nervous when Dallas Buyers Club came out, because right. it was like being queer was AIDS 
and sadness and your family hating you and yeah. disowning you. Yeah. And I say that now, but I know that's a reality for so many people. Totally. And I don't want to ignore that. Yeah. And I don't want to say, go ahead and just come out and be yourself and screw what anybody thinks if that puts you in danger or yeah. if that makes you vulnerable or if you don't want to be disowned by your family. So I'm, I'm trying to be cautious. Totally. But I do think there's a beauty to being able to have your private inner personal universe. That yeah. really was important to me. I escaped the, into it. It's the hope. You yeah. want to have hope that there, you can have like a normal life yeah. that is the anti-normal. Yeah. But I think I'm so, as you're saying this, I'm... I have this belief with being bipolar that says like, I am the gift that is being bipolar. I understand that my brain is coping with this world. And I believe that anybody that has a mental disorder, it makes more sense to me Yeah, because it's very difficult to cope in this world, the way we've constructed living and the yeah. way that the that institutions and the systems function of course you're going to have anxiety of course you're going to be depressed of course you're going to be bipolar yeah because the world is fucked yeah like, right and the fact that you are your brain is trying to wrap its head around it is beautiful right because because that that means that things need to change yeah and we're all trying to find homeostasis in mm -hmm. our own ways and whether that means like at this moment I need medication to be able to function in this society. Yes. And like, that's why people that are like anti-meds, I understand where they're coming from in a society that accepted my mental illness as being the status quo and being totally normal. Well, I don't know if this is true, but I'm, I'm, I'm thinking in like a parallel universe, U a utopian kind of yes, way where, where everything sort of bent to my, to my will. This would or, make a cool why and all. Yeah. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What is new man? project. Yeah, what does this world look like? You're making me think of a quote from Queer Out of Failure. Albertson said, being taken seriously means missing out on the chance to be frivolous, promiscuous, and irrelevant. I just love that idea. Oh, I love that. Celebrating irrelevance. Mary's eating brownie and is for some reason ashamed of it. She just <laughs> put her hands to her mouth like, 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 like she got her hand caught with her hand in the cookie jar. <laughs> The desire to be taken seriously is what compels people to follow the tried and true paths of knowledge production around which I would like to map a few detours. This is a story with, of art without markets, drama without a script, narrative without progress. The queer art of failure turns on the impossible, the improbable, the unlikely, and the unremarkable. It quietly loses, and in losing, it imagines other goals for life, for love, for art, and for being. Oh, I love that. And you talked about being bipolar. Um, I'm really into like Facebook groups, like specifically support groups lately yeah. and groups that celebrate the, um, art of Charles Schultz. By that, I mean just a bunch of Snoopy fan pages, <laughs> but I just the other day joined this bipolar disorder support group and I was floored. I was, I was in tears looking at these posts, just scrolling through them. Why? Because it was people making this just brilliant art. It was like, really almost every post was like, I was manic and I made this, like <gasps> I was really depressed and I made this. And it was just, I was like, these people are just brilliant. And I, I felt like <gasps> oh, this I'm just weird, getting a, I'm swell. I yeah. Just, this weird pride. Sorry to interrupt you. No, no, I'm interrupting you. My God. Um, I felt all this pride that it sort of reminded me of the first time I went to a gay pride parade and realized 
oh, this is better than being straight. This is cool. Yeah. Like there's, there's something about this that is, this is what, this is what I struggle with, with our identities, with being queer and bipolar. I don't necessarily know if I can convince the rest of the world that being fat is better than not being fat. Convince me. But, (laughs) but I worry about when we talk about the incredible nature of mania or the things that, or the beauty that is being queer, that it... Do I sound like a... I'm, I'm, the word I want to say is glorifying. This is my concern. Do I, do I sound like someone that's saying I'm glorifying obesity? Do I, I sound like that person? I don't know. You know, I don't know. I don't think so. But I do think... I you know. Want th- you want to... Th- hey, okay, I want to think of it in a really cool way. Okay. And here's where it doesn't make any sense for fatness doesn't fit in here. Okay. So you're going to have to follow me on okay, this. help me. Marxist scholars. So scholars whose investment is in philosophically or actually dismantling capitalism because mm-hmm. it's exploitative would say... We live in a deeply capitalist society that all of our principles are inextricably connected to the goal of profit for some Mm -hmm. and, you know, none for others. Would say that's the reason that society rejects queer people is because they refuse to participate in a system of production. So it's the same reason that, you know, the Roma people have been, you know, harassed and chased around Europe and and oppressed for hundreds of years is that they refuse to settle down and participate in like a capitalist system that frustrates everybody. I think you could say the same of people who are bipolar they they're refusing to participate in the production of capital the same way that other people are by sort of seeing the world differently and they they kind of they challenge that artists Mm -hmm. you know and free thinkers and creative types don't do much to further that goal or there's an understanding that they're sort of you know like on disability or incapable of participating i don't know if taking a drive down the marxist boulevard was helpful no absolutely i think what what was sort of a trigger for me was the word glorifying, you know? Oh, right. Cause that's what everybody says, right? Yeah, absolutely. When we talk about like body, like loving our bodies, it's like, no, you're glorifying obesity. You want other people to be fat. And then I think, well, why not? Why not? Everybody should be fat. Right. Why, like what's so bad about it? Yeah. But then I, yeah, is it, wait would, a minute. Could you have the same discourse about glorifying bipolar disorder? Why not? <laughs> I'm just know. having a moment. I'm having like, why, why should, well, <laughs> What? Because then I don't know if I'm painting a realistic picture about the actual, like, the actual experience. Are you talking about both? About bipolar disorder and being fat? And being queer. I'm thinking about it all. Of, like, this is... I think there's such a huge difference between saying, I want to look at where I am right now and the cards that I've been dealt and my actual reality and what's positive about it. Yeah. Versus I am encouraging everyone that I see (laughs) to do this same thing. Right. right? Well, and I think I have to remember, too, there's not enough discourse about the... high functioning bipolar people there's not enough discourse and content about queer people thriving yeah, yeah. Well, i mean i think things are sort of changing now but it's still like we have we're like okay there's five people writing books they're changing you know? they're changing a little bit but yeah. man that picture of ellen with george w bush there's part of me there's part of me that wants to just be like remember in our, our second episode the body episode you said we have to dismantle this whole system yeah i think we need to really re-radicalize queerness. I think it's gotten really palatable. Do you think? If Hallmark, the Hallmark Channel pulling Zola ads offends us more than 
systematic violence against trans women of color, for example, <laughs> something's wrong. Yeah, yeah. And totally. this has all gotten way too invested in, you know, when I see um, like almost every brand under the sun now with a rainbow version of their logo and they're so inclusive, I'm mm-hmm. like, I, I worry. And you know, when it really set in for me was during the election when Trump was waving that rainbow flag. Do you remember that picture? Yeah, it felt nauseous. And um, afterwards, and this is true, unfortunately, became the first president to mention the LGBTQ community in his inauguration speech. I worry if that message, even just the most feckless, fangless version of that message is coming from someone who is as destructive a force you know, that was a, his election was an American tragedy. There's yes. no sil- sliver of light in that for queer people. If that's even part of their discourse, it's time to, like, burn this whole thing down. It's time to just embrace that this is radical and we don't want to belong. And there are spaces where, you know, like, if queer youth are shunned from their homes, let's take them in. Let's start mm. kibbutzes. Let's do it. Yeah. I know this is ridiculous, but... Well, I just want to know what that looks like. I don't and I, know. And I think, too, I I really oscillate between those things, too, of, like, Pride being corporate. But also, I benefit as, like, when I get paid to do Prides, I, you know, sometimes I get paid a lot of money for, like, not doing very much. Oh. When I'm like, what are they doing for, for artists that don't have a big name like me, you know? We've had this conversation before, though. I think what I meant to say is I have sort of a... a, a a feeling that something is not right when there's yeah. a site, you know, I have the same problem though. I really do. I have the same, there's this version of me that wants radical difference to be part of being queer, to have it be celebrated as being a radical, different, edgy kind of thing. But then I also am like, I just want to be fucking normal, man. Right. I just want to be normal. You know, like growing up, I just wanted to be normal, but it's that same part of me that, you know, like, listen to Bikini Kill and L7, it's like, yeah, but normal sucks. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So there's a push and pull, right? Yeah. With everything, there's sort of the utopian, what would we do if we had all the freedom in the world? Right. But what do we do right now is a sort of lived reality right. for everybody to right. deal with, you know? I, I really have, I do, I have a hard time. I guess it doesn't piss me off when I see companies profiting off of queer slogans or or imagery or making t-shirts that say love is love it doesn't bother me what bothers me is when corporations do that and then also don't have protections for their employees or don't do anything with those proceeds and that it feels that's where it feels like fuck this sort of capitalist right right thinking, you know yeah. so before we go much further into that i want to I was thinking I want to talk about our uh, maybe our history of identity as well, because some of my fans know that I used to identify as a lesbian and I uh, I feel like queer suits me more. Uh I don't know. I just think I think it's significant. I think I think being queer is the coolest thing in the world. What what led you to identifying as queer instead of identifying as a lesbian? What shifted? I think it shifted for me when I realized that I was attracted to trans men and like going on dates with trans men and non-binary people. And I felt like I just I didn't feel like if I was potentially with somebody that was trans, I didn't want 
my identity to be restrictive in that way. It started feeling a little restrictive. And I also felt that the identity of queer just is such an incredible umbrella of of things that just feels more natural to to who I am. Mm -hmm. And I think, I mean, when we talk about being gay or we talk about being, you know, lesbian, that is, that just indicates like who you're attracted to. Right. And I totally understand people that still identify as gay or still identify as lesbian. Yeah. Like dating trans people and, and, you know, trans men specifically and feeling comfortable with that. And I don't have any problem with that, but it was just for me personally, it felt like it felt like I was invalidating somebody else's identity or Mm. existence. Mm -hmm. And that just didn't feel comfortable for me. That makes sense. I mean, and it doesn't, that's the beauty of it is it doesn't have to make sense. Mm -hmm. The whole business of identification and the queer landscape is about opening possibilities and opening um, our understanding of, of gender and attraction and not making it smaller, you know? Totally. So whatever you do in the service of widening that, I think yeah. is really positive. Well, I mean, and if I could just identify as somebody that just doesn't date cis men, right. <laughs> I would. Uh-huh. <laughs> I guess we could come up with some kind of a term for that. Some neologism. <laughs> I'm sure it's out there. Mm-hmm. And, ter- um, and in terms of my, like, gender identity, you know, I really do feel like a woman. I feel like a femme. Like, and that, that term feels really comfortable for me, too. Right. Um... I was wondering how you identify. Um, I also identify as queer. I Now that I'm thinking about it, I don't know how long I really identified as lesbian. I always called myself gay. Mm-hmm. I think I called myself a lesbian only if I was joking about like, oh, well, I'm a lesbian, so I'm going to Home Depot or something. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't like call that in as sort of a joke. Yeah. I'm starting to identify with it less and less as my gender identity is becoming more fluid and mm-hmm. a, a little bit less clearly defined. I'm in the space right now where I, I don't, I don't, I don't know how I identify, you know, mm. and my answer to when people ask me about my pronouns, I'm like, I don't care any of them, all of them. Mm. I answer to any of them. It doesn't matter to me. I, I think I've realized oh, I, I, I want to kind of stand up for myself and, and, and claim an identity that makes me feel comfortable. I think I'm in a stage where I don't know what makes me feel comfortable Right. since childhood. I've never been drawn to things that, that women and girls are stereotypically interested in. Mm -hmm. Maybe I should say that the other way. I've always been, um, I've always felt more masculine, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I guess I just thought, and everybody just thought I was sort of just like a tomboy, you know, a tomboy who was just really bad at sports. (laughs) Um, But now I don't know. I feel like it's sort of in flux and I'm not sure. I've I've talked to you about this a lot. Um, I don't feel like I need to reject any aspect of being a woman or being Mm -hmm. feminine but I don't feel wedded to it. I wish that I could wear more masculine clothes and have my body look more masculine, but I'm not, you know, I'm not ready to commit to anything. Maybe this is a Gemini in me. I don't know. It's, I don't know. It's, it's, it's an interesting kind of journey. And I'm realizing too, how much of it was shaped me thinking, what have other people done? That'll show me what's possible, you know? And in some ways that's been really powerful. Like seeing examples of, of people that I know who have undertaken enacting their gender identity in different ways that are yeah. sort of like unconventional or, or unprecedented, you know? Yeah. So that's really inspiring to me, but it also makes me realize I don't have to do anything that as there's a blueprint for, I right. can figure that out on my own, right? you know? Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure what that'll look like, but I'm just in a stage, you know, I've, I've also kind of shaken the idea of like, Oh, well, I'm too old to do anything about it now. I don't think that's true. Yeah. Um, yeah. and I've been, uh, inspired by a few friends of mine who have, 
either, you know, publicly announced changes in their gender identity or have started transitioning later in life. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what the future looks like. So I'll just yeah. say my gender identity is in flux. Cool. Yeah. Well, and I think too, when we had that conversation, I thought about someone who was really close to me who's trans. I remember the conversation we had where if like a really good hypothetical to offer somebody who is or feel like the gender they were born with and assigned to doesn't really suit them, but they don't know what route they can take or, or what options there are or how maybe their life could be shaped is asking yourself like in a vacuum by yourself, if everybody just totally got it, got your pronouns and there was no, um, there was no judgment and just complete understanding what and how would you identify because I think we can start to deconstruct and say, okay, well then I am sort of deciding my pronouns based on what I think will make people comfortable. Right. Or I don't want to make anyone uncomfortable with my gender or have, you know, have to explain things. And I think you do have to weigh those pros and cons of like, that might be part of the process. Yeah. What, what do you truly want? You know? Yeah. I'm not saying, I'm not saying for just for you, because I know you're sort of sussing things out and, and, and realizing that, okay, maybe there's, you know, you don't feel, um, trapped or dissatisfied, but maybe there's a better, some, something better that suits you. Yeah, that's true. I'm, I am, fortunate in that nothing makes me feel completely alienated from myself or mm-hmm. makes it, it's more another, I think another consideration, and I don't know how common this is because I, I just haven't, you know, I haven't really interacted with people, particularly who are my age, who have this experience or mm-hmm. have this sort of feeling of unsettledness. But, um, another consideration is my professional identity. Right. I have, and I, I think this is the nature of being a pre tenure academic, I, I don't want to, and I know this is ridiculous. I don't want to appear unstable. Mm. Um, I want to be somebody who knows who they are. That's how I want to seem professionally. And I think that's a sign that my own values are a little, that I, I need to examine my own values because to me, that would actually, it would be me being more settled and more stable, mm-hmm. um, to be stable enough to tell people, you know, this is how I identify. But a lot of it is, genuinely I think about it and I'm like I don't know I don't know what feels right I don't know what feels I don't I don't know what feels good I think I'm just now figuring that out but I think it's a you know like you said being it's a an interesting thought exercise to free myself of preconceptions and free myself Mm -hmm. of the idea that I'm going to make people uncomfortable because I think that's shaped a lot of it so far. Um, I'm just really non-confrontational. I like to keep the peace. I'm totally the perennial middle child of every situation I'm in. I'm (laughs) also have a tendency to be kind of the rodeo clown. I want to ease people's tension. I want to, I want to be the, you know, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern kind of like comic relief. Yeah. I, I want to, I want to play that role. And I think, well, if, if I'm the squeaky wheel that everybody has to be conscious of and think about what pronouns am I going to use or what name are they going by that I can't play that role socially. So I think when I say this stuff out loud, I'm like, Oh, I need to work this stuff out in therapy. Mm. 
Um, but I think that's good. I think yeah. it's a good it's a good problem to have. And I know that I have the support of people once I decide what that might look like. Right. Well, I think it also it also is a it's a very clear it's a very clear symptom of being socialized as a woman. Yeah, not wanting to make myself make people uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that makes it really difficult when you're socialized as a woman to challenge that in right. any way. And and I think it's it's given me I have a lot of respect for my trans friends who've navigated this process. It's really tough. Mm-hmm. I think I think about what would that look like if I if I were to live honestly and and assume an identity that felt honest to me. And to me, I just keep thinking I'm going to get in people's way. I'm going to make people uncomfortable. I'm going to be in a bathroom that's going to make people uncomfortable. Or um, I'm going to freak people out who have kids. And I know that's not the right way to think. But you're right. I think it's a it's a symptom of this habitual need to make myself smaller and not impose. Mm-hmm. And so I'm excited to discover my, to just to kind of develop some confidence in this area. Mm-hmm. And um, I've already done, and we'll save this for a different episode. These aren't related. I've already done what I feel like is kind of the most badass thing I've ever done, which is I quit drinking. Yeah. Um, and I'm like over a hundred days into sobriety and. Oh, thank you. I'm so proud of you. And so I feel like I told Mary, I think it's, I didn't realize how clouded my mind was. And every time I thought about this, it would just open this pit of resentment. And I Mm -hmm. felt like a kid throwing a tantrum who had Mm -hmm. no avenue for action, but just felt frustrated. And and, like, I want everything and I want it now. Um, But now I can think about it more clearly without making a bunch of changes all at once. I can decide what that might look like with a clear mind. Yeah. So Mary made brownies. (laughs) Um, So we're sitting now, just to set the scene, at the kitchen table with a half-eaten brownie between us. And our dog, Georgie, is laying on her back and, I think, chasing rabbits in her sleep. She's so cute. It's a lovely scene. And it's going to start snowing. It's gonna snow soon. And I, I perfect. I already have a snow day tomorrow. Just, oh, man. The thrill of a lifetime. I mean... Speaking of thrills, <laughs> what has been? It is time. It's time. It's time for our three closing segments. For those of you who are new to the podcast, there's only three episodes. Go back and listen to the first one. What's wrong with you? How did you ever get anything done ever? How do you live with yourself? Press pause. Go back to the first episode. Give us a five star review. <laughs> It's time for our three closing segments, which are our obsessions, uh-huh. a, poem. a poem, and the drawing of a the the our tarot tarot card, card deck. <laughs> yep. In sync, honey. The wisdom Always. of the universe. Let's talk about our obsessions. Okay. What is tickling your bipolar brain this week? I can't stop thinking about. Two things. Well, I'm st- honestly, I'm still thinking about water. Mm. I'm still not feeling like I'm getting hydrated enough. And I'm also wondering if maybe we need like a humidifier or something in the house. You're perma thirsty. You mentioned this last week, you know. I know. I can't stop thinking about drinking enough water. Yeah. And like even today, I was just like, I need to keep drinking water. Yes. It's just about being hydrated. You know, Maria Bamford has this bit in her stand up where she says, they tell me I need to drink more water. I, I just can't do it. So I've just started leaving my mouth open in the shower. <laughs> God, I love her. You could try Did that. you know I invited her to our house on Twitter at 2 a.m.? No, talk what? About, talk about a manic move. I, I would, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm I, a I, huge fan. We're both huge yeah, fans. Yeah, But um, it was on public Twitter. I don't know her. Uh, how did, just out of nowhere? <laughs> yeah. Because she's That's a beautiful. 
Honey, I would have had a heart. You know, I, you just know I would have been okay with that. I know, but oh. um, she didn't respond. So. I love you, and I love that you did that. Thanks, You're baby. perfect for me. Okay, so water. Um, so water still, and I'm also I'm I can't stop thinking about um wasting food. Like I'm, I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm like tr- really trying to eat through everything that we bought at the grocery store, mm-hmm. and we just got a whole bunch of produce, and I'm just trying to like put all the produce all at, in one meal mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, I think, I think we're going to get through everything really? we bought. Yeah, Good I'm for serious. Us, man. Yeah. Um, and you've been cooking some incredible meals. Thank you, honey. I made spaghetti squash tonight. It was oh. really good. Out of this world. Okay. So the other thing I'm obsessed with is, um, the New York Times crossword. Oh. So on Sunday, if they released the super mega crossword, oh. which takes up Four panels. It's a huge. I mean, the entire spread of yeah. of the New York Times crossword. Um, so we started working on it, and the deal is with the with the crossword. It's not just the satisfaction of finishing the super mega crossword. It is um, once you figure it out. There's like a question in side the clue Mm -hmm. and if you figure out the answer to the question you email the new york times Mm -hmm. and you're eligible to win a thousand dollars or a book a book do i want a free book yes Yes. do i want a thousand dollars yes so worth worthy obsession yeah so we are um it's like we have the clues hanging up like right Mm -hmm. above our table so i can actually see them right now and i'm salivating yes okay we're and we made a lot of progress yeah we did I I, i think we have about a quarter done, half, we're halfway done. I think the last, one of the last uh, answers you filled in was oopsie daisy, <laughs> which I think is really cute. Um, and the last thing that's, ac- I would say is an actual sort of real obsession that I can't stop thinking about is this new project that I'm working on. Yeah. Thank you, Annie. Uh, yeah, I got hired um, to be the music supervisor and film composer for a new documentary coming out. Yes. And I decided I'm going to, um, I'm going to record it all here right here in the compound man in our house Mm -hmm. so i have some recording equipment here but not enough to do what i not enough to do a movie Mm, so the um you gotta you gotta beef it up yes yeah so the um the production company and the people i'm working with the amount that they're paying me is allowing me to build my studio up yeah so i'm just like i'm in like buying equipment mode get it and i am just obsessed like i bought oh my god i'm so excited i bought um the new DAW i want to use that i've used in my friend's studio i bought a new midi controller i've learned what some of these things are i bought a fucking tlm 103 microphone it's on it's a neumann we know what that is right guys (laughs) right am i right manic fam (laughs) you're a badass i'm just so it's all i can think about is like making the um because we 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 share an office so like making my little side of the office a little studio i got my monitors i'm just so i can't it's all i can think about i texted mary and i said are you sure that you won't want some privacy if we both need to work and you need the studio to quote jam out unquote or quote rock out (laughs) i was like okay dad (laughs) patronize me daddy (laughs) okay that's that's worthy obsession those are my obsessions and i'm also obsessed with buying christmas presents you're 
I cannot wait for people to hear about you're doing a lot of secret projects. Yeah, you're actually so being really dishonest. <laughs> oh my god, you're hiding things from people. No, I'm not. She has to, and they're really. It's Christmas season. It's okay to hide things from people. Yeah, and from thinking. children. My first obsession is this story. There have been sightings of a bunch of pigeons in Las Vegas <laughs> who are wearing little tiny cowboy hats that are affixed to their heads somehow. Incredible. And they look just darling. I mean, so cute. And I am a huge bird fanatic. The thought of a bird being hurt just kills me. But I took the word of Dr. Charles Walcott, who is a Cornell University ornithologist. He said, they look like they're pretty comfortable Unfortunately, if they weren't, we wouldn't have any way of knowing because they don't talk to us. And I just, I really liked that. I thought it was really, really sweet. Um, and then this might make you cry. And I'm sorry. No, I love to cry. Crying is my brand, baby. <laughs> plants cry. No, they don't. There's new research that plants emit high-pitched sounds, which are too high for humans to hear, when they lack water or have their stems cut. Shut up. Isn't that unreal? You're kidding. Incredi Do they really? I know, it's incredibly depressing. So wait, when we cut flowers and stuff, are the flowers that are sitting here, are they sad? Apparently they emit a high-pitched oh, sound. Oh God, I'm really going to cry. I know, I'm really sorry, honey. I knew this was going to do, I knew this was going to do this to you. Um, on a less heavy note, I'm obsessed with Popcorners Kettle Corn Chips. Oh yeah, you love those. I had like six bags of them on, you know, on JetBlue, you can go up to that little area and like get snacks just willy-nilly whenever you want. God bless the whole flight. It's amazing. And then my last item is um, I'm reading this book that Bill Bryson wrote. He just came out with this book called The Body. Um, and it he just chapter by chapter is going into different bodily systems and talking about um, kind of just like revealing new information about them or revealing assumptions that we make about them. And this point that he keeps making about the senses is that your actual sensory organs, your eyes, your ears, your nose, your even even uh, the touch receptors on your fingers are not really doing anything. It's just transmitting expectations to your brain and your brain is filling in the blanks. And so there's this passage I'm obsessed with. I told you this last night and it freaked you out and yes. you tried to erase it from your brain. So okay. if you want to just cover your ears and hum. Man, you're really, you're really blowing, blowing I know. my brain I know, up I'm sorry. Oh. You know, we said obsessions don't always have to be fun. It's true, I know. it's true. He wrote, the eyes send a hundred billion signals to the brain every second, but that's only part of the story. When you see something, only about 10% of information comes from the optic nerve. Other parts of your brain have to deconstruct the signals. In other words, the biggest part of seeing isn't receiving visual images, it's making sense of them. This is the mind-blowing part. For each visual input, it takes a tiny but perceptible amount of time, one-fifth of a second, for the information to travel along the optic nerves and into the brain to be processed and interpreted. To help us better deal with this lag, the brain does an extraordinary thing. It continuously forecasts what the world will be like a fifth of a second from now, and that's what it gives us as the present. That means that we never see the world as it is this very instant, but rather as it will be a fraction of a moment in the future. We spend our whole lives, in other words, living in a world that doesn't quite exist yet. So, sweet dreams tonight. 
<laughs> you are buffering like a Netflix screen. Scary. I, every time I try to make what feels like a relevant reference, that is relevant. I end up referencing something like MTV Cribs. <laughs> Um, okay, so those are my obsessions. That's it. Those are great. I'm done. Those are really good Thank obsessions. Thank you. Um, so, honey. That plant thing is really fucking me up, man. Hey. I, need I to... refuse to shield you from the truth. No, I really appreciate that, honey. You really let me in on the world. It is time for our penultimate segment. The reading of the poems. Oh, I'm so excited for this. Yeah. We've both spent a long time trying to find the right poem. Like hours. Yeah. I am we're very particular about the poems we want to mm-hmm. read and share. It takes me longer than any other part of this podcast. Me too. Yeah. The poem I want to read is by Hugh Min Nguyen. I was very lucky to have um Hugh open up for me at uh, one of my shows during my tour. Um and I felt so blessed to have seen this poem live. So we're going to link, um, his performance of this. And, um, and I think we're going to start doing that for all the poems. Yeah. Okay. So this is called, this poem is called Monica West is moving to Omaha, Nebraska. Monica West takes to the stage an address ready to fringe fuck your conservative relatives into a bathhouse. Her wig jet black, a dance of crow feathers. Powerhouse of the Midwest, back alley glamour, sexed auntie in a pair of six inch heels, disco ball bastard slut in the blood moon. She snaps her fingers and all the dollar bills fly from my hands. My rent, my next three meals at the foot of her patent leather mercy. I don't believe in psychiatrists. I don't believe in the church of therapy, but I do believe, I guess, in healing. Asclepius in a lace front Donatella. I believe my friends who tell me they are sad or scared, but still need to get out of the house just for the night, just for tonight. I believe there is no shame in showing up to the club wearing sweatpants. <laughs> no shame in the way the bass bounces with our scent. Glitter musk dizzying the floor. 10 p.m. every Saturday. In Northeast Minneapolis, a drag queen streaks a beam of light across the high points of her cheeks and transports me into a new world. Debutante debauchery, cock ring cotillion. Denez and I aren't amateurs. We know better. We make reservations. Every week, every Saturday, we claim the good seats. Rookie queers stand in the back. We tell all of our friends that Vicky's got some of the best fried chicken in Minneapolis, which doesn't really mean much considering the white folks as far north either underspice or overspice their food like they're overcompensating for history mm-hmm. for their ancestors' long legacy of trying to eradicate flavor from the entire fucking planet. <laughs> but leave it to these F-words to get it right. Spice just right. Cook just right. Look just right. Lips, eyeliner, tights just right. But we don't come here for the fried chicken. We don't come here because the white people are better here than they are in the real world. Because after all, after last call, they will all leave and walk into a world where their clean faces have been the destination and the path of our unmaking. Because after all, no blacks, no Asians, no spice, no rice, no fats, no femmes. They push my friends and say, I don't see you. Didn't see you standing there. We don't come here to fight, though we will fight. Look here. When we show up to the club, to the party, to our jobs, at your worst, no. We are always ready to be our best. Show out. Show up. 
Show the fuck up to a country that uninvites you to the parade. Show up anyway. Monica West announces she is moving to Omaha, Nebraska. My first thought, why? <laughs> My second thought, still, why? <laughs> but then I think about Saturday, the one after the election, or the one after the shooting, <sighs> or the one the night before, or the one the night of. I think of every inevitable Saturday that will follow every inevitable tragedy. I think about the world on fire and the music we choose to play anyway. And I wonder if I will ever be brave enough to leave one day. If I will one day ever get out of this town, this country, this world. If sanctuary is not a place, but the people we love all under the same impossible and temporary light, how can we convince anyone to stay? How do I see this through? God damn it, how can I stop people from leaving? Hmm. But we don't come here for sanctuary. We know better. We come here for Monica West, <laughs> for Victoria DeVille, <laughs> for Camry Williams, for the way Kyle's ass looks tonight. We come here because I think Denez will make a great drag queen, <laughs> because I see a world where the people I love sing their favorite songs. I see a world where the crowds cheer for their brown and perfect bodies. I see a world where I stay, where I stand at the foot of the stage and wait for them to reach down and take, I don't know, my money, my hand, my fear of a world that refuses to know their glory. That's rad. Oh, I love that. That's, oh, such a good poem. That's queer joy. Yes. That's, that's perfect. Yeah. It's perfect. Thanks, honey. Thank you. That's radical queer refusal to be along. Yes, yes. Thank you, human. Yep. That's rad. Mine is not as gay. (laughs) But it is as gay. Yeah. Because it's good. Yeah. I don't have much to preface this with, but this is by a poet I really like named Julie Carr. Have you heard of her? Uh Uh-uh. She's really wonderful. And this is a poem called Houseboat. House slash boat. Okay. So we shoveled it, climbed over it, when a boy's loved, he is loved. We kissed him at the countdown, then we went to bed. Then I woke, and on the screen, an executioner, whose wife, for him, was worried. Both on and off the screen, there was still a lot of snow. I went out and stuck my hand in it, felt around for a handle. None. So I picked myself up and walked to the bank. Does it seem I am alone? No, not alone. The wind was a friend, dying and down. I bent over. I listened to the flow. Home, yes, but leaving. Home, sure, fine, but where's the bathroom? Where's the light? Anyway, the soft swell said, anyway, if you're at home tonight, you're a guest. So I bowed. I said, I'm sorry if I bore you. Broad, the river belled in a thud of sun. I climbed aboard. I rode. A border flew open like a cough. I leaned back to balance my heavy brown oars as they dipped to green and red furrows of light between water mounds. My boat rocked, steady, unsteady. Was I welcomed? It seemed I was as I gripped and privately beheld. The night soon lost its head. I said, I'm here, pulling up now, parking, looking for something to eat, to redeem. The wind shook the seed pod, but the seed pod wasn't moved. And though I thought I'd done the damage I was born for, oh. there was still so much to step through. Oh. So much to mar. Oh! Oh, shit! <laughs> Fuck! Isn't that good? <laughs> the last line. Oh, I shit. loved it. Oh, fuck. 
I okay. love. I how love would she the... say? Coughed open the border. Uh huh. Oh shit. Yeah, you're also. An, I just. I just thought about something because she says so much to Mar, and I think I. I love mm-hmm. that. That I think has that like. That also means see. You know, uh. I love that. I loved in your poem. Uh, that he used heel, like high heel and heel, like yeah. healing yes. within a few lines of each other. That's so cool. Ugh. Beautiful. What a beautiful exchange. Great exchange. I love that. Oh, can you just... Oh, it's gone now. Oh, no. I just want to hear those last two lines again. <sighs> of course. The wind shook the seed pod, but the seed pod wasn't moved. Ugh. And though I thought I'd done the damage I was born for, <sighs> there was still so much to step through. <sighs> so much to mar. <laughs> That writing is so good. She's really, really good. Wow. Okay. And what's her name? Julie Carr. Julie Carr. Mm -hmm. Okay. Wow. It's time for a closing segment. I have a structured settlement and I need cash now. Call JG Wentworth 877 cash that i swear we did that we haven't we haven't i don't think we i don't know how we haven't okay it's the drawing the drawing of the tarot tarot (laughs) (laughs) it's time it is time for the drawing of the tarot card Mary is shuffling the tarot deck as we speak. We have some tarot card ASMR for you if you're so inclined. And while Mary is shuffling, I want to share this is our final tarot card segment. Mm -hmm. Because this is the Manic Episodes, you understand, Manic fam, nothing gold can stay. We're going to change our mind and get tired of whatever segment we have going on. Um, and also, um, we drew a really bad tarot card last night and had to redo this because we're both sensitive creatures. So we've decided we're going to replace, maybe we'll replace it with like knock, knock jokes or be super edgy and make them like your mama jokes. Are those still funny? No. Is that still part of the zeitgeist? (laughs) No. Um, maybe maybe we'll make memes. I don't know. What are the kids like these days? Maybe recipes. We could share a recipe. (gasps) Recipes. That's That's kind of fun. Great idea. Maybe we could, um, do riddles. Oh, that's kind of neat. Okay, yeah. something interactive. Uh-huh. Or um, like bazooka bubblegum style jokes. That's fun. Maybe I can end with like a gambling pick. Like Ooh. I'll be like, take, take the under on the, you know, Grizzlies Wizards game tonight or whatever. That's cool, honey. No, I guarantee you no one who listens to our podcast <laughs> is interested in that. Um, but okay, so we'll figure that out. And maybe um, if you guys have any suggestions, let us know. Yeah. Um, you can follow us on Instagram at Manic Episodes Pod. Um, you can also follow us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Facebook. Yeah, like us on Facebook. I started the Facebook. I'm not doing a very good job with it. Half of my notifications are like, seven people have liked your page. Do something. <laughs> and I don't know what to do, but it just keeps telling me to spend money on it. And I refuse. But uh, yeah, get a hold of us and uh, let us know if you have an idea for a recurring segment. It'll recur two or three times till we get tired of it because we're manic. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. Mary has the deck spread out in front of her. Okay. She is touching the deck lightly. Okay, so we want to ask... What direction should our next episode take? Yeah, Mm -hmm. I think that'll be good. What's our immediate trajectory? Mary is carefully selecting a card. She has her eyes closed. She's letting the energy guide her to a card. 
I wonder if there's any money in being like a metaphysical play-by-play announcer. <gasps> it's the Page of Wands. Ooh. I have to say, first of all, as a page, it's interesting to see. I typed the Page of Wands. <laughs> cool. Okay, the Page of Wands means inspiration, ideas, <gasps> discovery, <gasps> limitless potential. Oh. Free spirit. Wow. It says, you are inclined to give anything and everything a go. You embrace the opportunity to start on a new journey or project and see where it takes you. Wow. You don't have a solid plan in place. You don't know where you're headed. (laughs) But you're excited about the possibilities. You have a gift for dreaming up new creative ideas unfettered by the burdens of everyday life. Wow. Nothing will get in the way of your dreams. You may benefit from working with a wise mentor, someone who has walked your path before and can now pretty good huh this is so cool i okay. agree maybe we should consult our podcasting friends too yes i thought about that too yeah, maybe our podcasting friends maybe, our audience maybe jenny and kat of yeah. the gaudy positive yes if you guys aren't subscribed to that what are you doing with your life <laughs> we love you we love you to pieces love the crap out of you from snowy massachusetts these are your manic parents signing off bye guys